Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Uh, to say that I have been looking forward to today's interview truly is an understatement. Uh, today we have with us Jane Clementi. She is the co-founder of the Tyler Clementi Foundation along with her husband, Joe, and her heart is to help our society um, come to grips with and learn the consequences of discrimination and bullying. And she learned this personally through the loss of her son, Tyler. And since losing Tyler, Jane's spiritual journey has continued to carry and transform her in ways she would never have imagined. She leads an inspirational life through her experiences, and she shares that with other parents. And she's made many difficult choices in an impossible situation. And uh, she leads by example. So, Jane, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I truly appreciate it. It's really a humbling, uh, a very huge intro that I'm not used to. I, I hear it, but it's not something that I believe in. So thank you for those encouraging words. Uh, well, I, I'll say this. Uh, I believe in it. And so we're here on the, on the phone. Jane's in New Jersey. I'm in Denver. And uh, last year, um, you and I were with a group of faith leaders. I knew your name. I knew who you were, but I didn't, didn't know your face. And then we met. And I remember um, telling my wife when I got home that truly I was just grateful to say hello to you and really to thank you for the important work you do, which we'll talk about today. Um, and I think the reason for that, what I found so compelling is the path that you have chosen to walk. Um, and it's a path that I observe as the one that has deep courage because what I've seen is it's not a denial of reality, but you encounter it at every turn, even in the midst of struggle. Um, and it's a struggle I can't even begin to imagine. So again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, let's, can we just begin by having you just share a little bit about yourself and your story, your family story and Tyler's story? Oh, sure. Um, there really wasn't much of a story before 2010. We were just very quiet um, suburban family living in the suburbs of northern New Jersey. Um, and then um, our life kind of exploded and broke apart, actually. Um, mm. it, it was um, following um, national headlines in the fall of 2010 where my son was the headline um, after an incident of cyberbullying. And um, to explain a little bit more about what had happened to Tyler, um, his roommate live-streamed him in a sexual encounter with another man. And then he posted about it on social media, um, announcing to the entire world about a very private moment that should have been remained a private moment. And I just can't even imagine how humiliated Tyler must have felt in front of his new dorm mates. And as I look back, I think the worst part of it is it is, is that I do believe in my heart that Tyler's roommate did this simply because of Tyler's sexual orientation. Mm. Um, using, um, I think Tyler's roommate used one of the God-given traits that made Tyler special and precious and very unique, but unfortunately it made <clears throat> Tyler very different from his roommate. And it was that difference that his roommate used to put Tyler down. Um, and, and what's worse is to put him down publicly in front of all his new peers. Um, trying for whatever reason to make himself maybe more important or more cool or popular or whatever it was that he was trying to achieve. I'm not really sure myself, but he was not giving any thought or consideration um, to the harm or expense that it would cost to someone else 
to another human being, um, to that human being being my son. You know, um, I, I just can't even wrap my head around that still. Um, to my son, who I thought, you know, when I think back on him, was such a thoughtful, kind, caring young man. Uh, and he had so many gifts and talents that I think that the world is never going to see now or know. Mm. Um, but as Tyler kept, because as Tyler kept um, reading the jokes and comments on social media, Tyler's reality became very twisted and distorted, and he lost sight of his precious and specialness in the world, mm. as well as the resources that he had available to him. And I know myself personally that when you are in that very dark um, lonely, desperate place that you often can't see the resources and support that are all around you and available to you, or just how important or special you are to other people because you don't even see those other people around you. Mm. Um, and it was at that dark point that Tyler made a terrible decision, um, a decision that we can't change or undo, um, um, a permanent decision to a temporary situation, mm. as I like to think about it, because uh, it was a situation that could have changed, but we were never given the cho- chance to help Tyler in that decision or in that situation. Um, and on September 22nd, 2010, Tyler died by suicide. Um, mm. Tyler was 18 years old, and um, at that point, that's when the media took that story and ran with it. And as much as Ty- Joe and I want, would love to go back and change Tyler's actions, of course, we can't. So instead, we put our energy and actions into making sure that no one else would have to suffer that pain or shame or humiliation that Tyler did. Um, Unfortunately, people are still suffering that shame. That's why we still have much more work to do. Um, And we started the foundation because of that, to try to put an end to all bullying, online and off. Yeah. And you, we were, I think it was this last fall, it was a day or two before the anniversary of Tyler's death, um, and you shared about it in, in a in a room filled with people. It was I don't know, thirty or forty of us, and and I wondered at that moment how often, like when it comes to Tyler, how often are you thinking about him? How often is he on your mind? right there behind everything that I'm doing. Um, mm. If I'm out really engaged in something, obviously he's a little back behind there, but he's present every day, <laughs> every, yeah. everywhere I go. Um, and certainly there's times when things really trigger memories, you know, silly things that we did together or a place that we used to go often together or, or something that he loved to do when I heard, hear violin music, obviously, or as I'm driving to work and I see cyclists on the side of the road and I think, gee, that could have been Tyler one day or was Tyler one day. Um, you know, my memory, it, it triggers a memory and then it brings me actually into a really sad place because there's no future from that memory, um, mm. which is a strange place for me. I know everyone grieves differently and some people like to surround themselves with pictures and hold the memories of the past, but they were not comforting to me. Um, they would just trigger deep, deep grief and sadness that there was no future. Um, now it's slightly better. I have pictures back up in my home, but they came mm. down for a long time. Um, and there were things that pushed me forward that had made me look in 
to pictures because people needed pictures and they wanted pictures of Tyler. So I was forced to doing it. But it was actually a year or two later that I would do that, that I would look into pictures. It, it was a long, long time for me. Um, and still things trigger deep grief and just emotional responses deep inside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's there with me all the time and different things come up in different parts and of my journey are triggered at different moments. But he's he's here. And at one yeah. time, I didn't like that thought that he was <laughs> here because <laughs> um, uh, I wanted him to really be here. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be able to call him on the phone. I wanted him to come for a visit. Um, so I guess I resisted those people that said, oh, he's, oh, he'll be a part of you. And I was like, oh, no, I want him to be a separate part of me that I can yeah. see and feel and touch. Um, but that's not reality. So. Mm. And you've shared over the years about the dark season that you experienced in the years after his death. Would you be willing to share about that, um, what, what you went through as someone? You used the word grief several times. Um, and I said at the beginning, you've encountered reality. You've chosen to encounter reality rather than run from it, which is where the courage lies. And I think I encounter in my work as a pastor so many people going through grief and there's this sense in which there's a way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to be like this, or you're supposed to be like that. And one of the things that I've been so encouraged by and how you've reflected is you just said, no, this is what I went through. Um, and you've not really placed a judgment on it. You've just spoken your truth. And so would you be willing to share just about some of the experience that you went through? You already mentioned taking pictures down, um, what, what what you went through and what it was like to walk through that. You said something that really triggered something, how you said I, I went positively forward um, saying that this is how I felt and how I grieved. But it, it didn't always feel that way to, to me, and I didn't see that. And it was after or with the support of um, professional help that I could mm-hmm. get that um, – positive side to, to really realizing that, you know, well, God gives you all these emotions um, and he doesn't pick and choose and they're not good emotions or bad emotions. It's just mm. they're gifts to us, all of them. Uh, and to, to hold that tension between grief and to live life was a big step for me um, because I was in that dark space, that lonely, desperate place for a very long time. Um, and it was odd because from the outside, people could say to me, would say to me, well, you have other children and you have a husband and you have this and you have that. But all I could mm. feel and experience was what I didn't have. And when you're in that sad, dark place, you don't necessarily see those other, the other people that are affected by what you're experiencing. Yeah. So I, I it's, it's interesting to see hear you talk about what I was experiencing. Um, But I also needed encouragement to find that place that, you know, not everybody does this in a year or two or three. It's a lifelong journey to learn how to hold that tension. And I I wish more people would know that and understand that. I was fortunate enough to have a few people, key people in my life that were, um, that gave me that space in time. 
And I, I view them as gifts, and I view them as part of how I hear God speaking when he places somebody when I'm at that darkest moment and someone comes and says something that I hear that actually penetrates into my head, you know, like um, there was somebody, I mean, it was three years or four years, I guess it was around three years out in 2013 or so, and I was still in a really dark place and people in my immediate circle that I encountered regularly, you know, in work and in neighbors or life that are like, I could feel that pressure of, well, it's time to move on. And mm. and I just resisted and pushed back and said, it's not time for me to move on. Yeah. Um, and it was a struggle in that. Um, and, and then at that point, someone who I knew but not closely just shared that her sister's son had died unexpectedly when he was 16 at a, at a, an accident. And it took her almost five years before her life got on track. And it was like, oh, so I'm not alone in this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe other people do things differently and can pull up and get energy. Um, and then I, I was speaking publicly slightly at times, but my life was not back in on track on on that path of enjoying life in this world in this kingdom. Um, yeah. Because I will always have one foot in the other kingdom. As, well, as long as my son is there. Um, and I struggled with that. And my big question to many people at that time, people that I thought were strong in their faith, and I was like, I, you know, we theoretically speak of how wonderful it is to go to the next kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Um, yet, as soon as they get the slightest ailment, they're right to the doctor and they're getting treatment and they're going through sometimes things that are much worse, <laughs> you know, in this world, in this kingdom. And, and that was a struggle for me. Um, but I, you know, I now know that, you know, I, as I walked through that dark time, um, that life is a gift and, um, and God is my Lord, so I have to give him full control over my life. And... Um, that was a conversation actually with someone maybe as late as 2015. I was sharing with him how wonderful God was and how present he was through every mm. step along the way. And then he said, and, but I also told him how I struggled with the what ifs and the could ofs and the should ofs and it's onlys. And, and after I shared, he said, yeah, it's understandable that you would have doubt. And I just couldn't understand his words, doubt. I was like, huh. didn't he listen how presence God was for me. Um, but then I realized after I sat with that a little bit that I hadn't given control of my life to God completely. Yeah. And that's doubt, right? That is doubt. Yeah. Um, and certainly holding that tension between sadness and living here in this life, God certainly wouldn't want me to be sad all the time or unhappy. And There is joy here and there is happiness and I can hold both. I can hold my grief and sadness because that's my connection with Tyler, and I don't want to lose that connection. Um, hmm. just put it out of my mind completely. It's not a reality for me. That's not where I can live. Um, I need to hold on to Tyler, and I need to be here and present in this world. And it, it's been a journey yeah. for sure, to, to say the least. And there wasn't just one moment that triggered it. It was 
many people that God placed along the road and, and many um, God speaking through scripture and, and through symbols and, and like images that he presented as important to me that on my dark moments would show up in, in yeah. the journey. And, and in his timing, it was perfect timing, always just when I needed something or someone, it was there. Right. And one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is for our listeners, what are their next steps? And one of the things I'm hearing you talk about with grief is there's there's no set amount of time. So depending on who you are and depending on what you're going through, um, the journey is going to be one that's varying lengths. And I, I love even just listening to you share that, like, there was there was this moment and there was this moment and there wasn't necessarily a schedule to it. And I'm hearing in your words too, this idea of like that, that one piece of doubt expressing your pain and then the other piece of God is with me. Um, Psalm 22, most, most people within the Christian tradition are familiar with the first words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cause these are the words Jesus spoke on the cross. And yet in the middle of that Psalm, there's this turn that says, uh, Lord, don't be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. And it just goes on into, like, I need you to come help me. Um, and there is that tension in there. And so I wonder, do you have any insights about um, what is it like? You, you use the word tension several times. To, to live a healthy life but still hold on uh, or still accept, I would say, and be able to hold that grief. What is that? What has that been like? Yeah, you used the word help a few times in that statement. And that's interesting because that was one of the things that I would cry out for was help. And he would mm. through scriptures, I could probably find all the times it says help. And he's your helper. Um, uh, like in Hebrews, um, I think it, it, it says something about um, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. And I will mm. not be um, afraid. So, and what can man do to me? Because I kept being crushed by man and the media and, and everything out there. Yeah. It's like, what can they do to me? I have God with me, right? He's here. Yeah. He's with me. Um, and um, he's never going to leave me. And that, that was good comfort to me. Obviously, what I really wanted was never going to happen. So all I needed was to find peace. And that's where I was praying for, and that's where I was trying to journey to, was finding mm. peace, holding that tension, and, and giving myself space um, to cry when I needed to cry. I didn't like doing it in public, but mm. I certainly needed to do it to get all my sadness out. And I still do, and still have those moments, um, which is why I say it's not a straight line. You move forward and you move backward. But... I am, I think, on the right path towards healing. I don't yeah. think anybody ever um, achieves it here in this world. <laughs> I think we're always on a path trying to achieve something. And Amen to that. There. Um, but I do know that I am, I'd say even within the last year, so much um, more alive and willing to live here in this world um, and on um, a personal note, I did have some health issues last year, last May, actually, 
started realizing that there was an issue, and um, I had my choice of what I wanted to choose, and I chose life, and I chose to have surgery to remove the tumors and the masses, so hopefully things will be good. Um, For me, that was a big step, because I could have just at that point said, well, I guess then this is God's plan for me. Um, Yeah. But I... I realized it was very curable at the stages that it was at. Um, so for me, that was a giant step towards life. Um, and I don't know how I achieved it. As I said, it was <laughs> slow steps and just acknowledging God's presence and knowing that God is good. And one of the things that I do struggle with is when people say that it's a test and when things don't are you know happen in people's lives is a test. Or, and I don't believe that at all. I believe that God is good and all good things come from God. But mm. in this place and in this world that we're in, we're going to have bad things and sad things and things that anger us and things that we don't agree with and stress. Um, but God will be with us through that and he will take us to the other side of that. Um, and that's where he was ever present in the begin from the very beginning. One of the things I was so numb, I, I couldn't really even hear full conversations or whatever people were telling me. It was more that they were coming to me and present mm-hmm. and, 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 and being present with me. And then maybe one word <laughs> out of all the many words I yeah. think that we have to not fear going and approaching people that are in deep grief or in mm. a terrible place because they're going to hear what they need to hear. And God will right. make their ears open to just that. Um, and um, one of the things I kept hearing over and over again was God is bigger than this. God is bigger than this. I don't know what this was, but um, <laughs> I know he is really big and really powerful. We have to stop putting him in a little box that um, – works for our small minds because <laughs> our yes. minds are not big. Our minds are small. Um, and um, he was really big and he was very present for me. Um, and I think if you look for him, you'll see him every day. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We, we talk often um, in our group of friends and, and in our faith community that we use the term all times. Well, then God showed up and we're like, no, I think it's more that, like we woke up. <laughs> yeah, been here the whole time. our eyes opened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Opened. And I want to point out too something that's important um, that that I'm continuing to learn, and even for our listeners, you talked about you you don't remember what people said, but they were there. They they were present, and that's such a big thing that so many of us wonder. Like, well, I don't know what I should say to that person when they're hurting, and I'm like, good, don't say anything. Uh, sit down, come. embrace, weep, be with them. Um, that's such an important step. And you, you mentioned briefly, uh, and this is one of the questions I, I wanted to ask, that in the midst of all of this, you have national media coverage. Um, and and you, your family's dealing with um, Tyler's death, and then you have media coverage. Um, and, and I'm just curious, what was that like? How did you even begin to, to balance that? Or was that also with people around you, loving you, caring for you, that helped you navigate that season? Yes, I believe it was a combination of all of those. Um, as I said, I was numb 
and I, I mean, I was in the house and the windows were, we pulled our shades and, and they were there, but I didn't really see them. Um, mm. I know after the fact how much media co- coverage there was. I think it was, it was a very intrusive of them, mm. I think, at the time is what I felt, but in hindsight, I see it as a blessing. Um, and I know that's hard to understand, but I do think that it, it captured the nation's attention. It catapulted the dangers of cyberbullying and bullying. It spoke to many issues because Tyler was gay. I think it helped conversations around equality at the time because life it was very different. There was not marriage equality at the time. Um, there was a state-by-state struggle and battle going on about that. Um, it certainly has changed. I think there's been much conversation in, even in, in multiple denominations around LGBT inclusion and welcoming. Um, so it was a definitely a different time. Because it was so public, um, we got support and love from people from all around the country and even the world. We got letters and emails and um, eventually emails. Mm. Had a website, but letters and cards flowed to our home for months. Even a year wow. later, uh, we would get st- many cards and letters. And and I embraced that. It was interesting. One person, it was like six months after, and a friend, a local friend, was present and said, oh, "You're still getting those cards?" And I was like crushed inside by that word because I was like, this is the highlight of my day to go to the mailbox and to receive these cards. How yeah. do you think of it as negative? Um, so, uh, it, it, you know, we had that love and support. We were certainly embraced by our faith community at the time, although they could not continue to um, support us as I moved forward in um, issues of inclusion. So, um for me, the media attention was not good at the time, although I was kind of numb, so I didn't really see it. But after the fact, I saw it as a great positive thing. And even we got um, to be supported at that point by so many in the LGBTQ community. Our family mm. was warmly welcomed into the community, and, and that was encouraging. So my world actually started to expand, although it took me many years to really fully appreciate it. Uh, again, because I was just so sad. I just, I knew it was happening and I knew it was a good thing, but I was just looking back, I can really be grateful for it. Um, mm-hmm. And we get to meet so many people like Matthew Vines from the Reformation Project. Ah, yes. Who out and I got to be part of his inaugural uh, group that met at the, for the Reformation Project, and, and Justin Lee from the Gay Christian Network, which is now the Q Christian Fellowship. Yep. Um, um, Mitchell Gold, who had a nonprofit organization called Faith in America, which I ended up working with doing some uh, panel discussions at various churches and, and various areas of the country in response to some things that some churches were doing, um, and who now is on our board, as well as um, like people like Caitlin Ryan, who has the Family Acceptance Project. I mean, so many people were able to find us and, and send us love and support and resources um, to help us in that time. So it was a good thing in hindsight, 
So not yeah. all bad things are, are good, and it depends on your perspective, you know, as that friend of mine <laughs> said, yeah. oh, are you still getting those cards? And I'm like, yes, I love these cards. I love I look that you got to these cards. cards. Um, <laughs> and I have them all still. I, one day I want to look at them when I'm alert, as I feel like I am now. Um, but I, I, I hold the box and I think, mm, not now, maybe, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. The work you do now is you um, you're addressing. Um, Issues around cyberbullying, around bullying, around acceptance. I mean, it's it's a somewhat broad, beautiful work. Um, and one of the heartbreaking things that I often hear um, by allies of the LGBTQ community, by um, parents especially who have children who identify as gay, um, and even by my gay friends, is the high rates of depression. I think of my one friend who talked about he couldn't reconcile his faith in his orientation and he would pray every day on the way home from work that he would just die in a car accident because he, he couldn't do this. Um, contemplation of self-harm, the suicide rates being higher among LGBTQ teens. And, and I point that out as a way of asking in the, in the work that you are doing and have done, what are some of the things I, I would say twofold first, what would you say to someone who's listening who identifies as LGBTQIA? Um, and, and what would you say to those who are alongside um, our friends in the, in the LGBTQ community? Well, to the LGBTQIA community, as you say, um, I would just want to as an ally to them, say how wonderfully and beautifully created they are in God's image mm. and how God loves them. And they should not listen to the dogma and the traditions that we have embraced and the misguided interpretations, really, of Scripture that we including myself in the church, the body of Christ, have been using for the last 2,000 years. Um, I don't think um, as that I, I would just want them to know that they are loved and that they are special and precious in the eyes of God and mm. in many allies' eyes as well. And they are yeah. needed in the body of Christ. They are needed to be members of our church. Yeah, they're not they're not second-class citizens. They're not uh, – it's easy to even tokenize um, their experience, their story. But first and foremost, the, the, the biblical narrative begins by identifying all human beings as image bearers and as deeply loved uh, children of the Almighty. So I love, I, I love that sentiment that you're sharing, and I, and I hope if you're listening you can hear that, that you are deeply loved and deeply needed. Uh, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. What would you say to, to, to friends, to people who have children, siblings, um, who identify as LGBT or Q, as a way of saying, like, being able to see um, the struggle and pain that so many in that community have endured? 
um, just to listen, to be good listeners, um, because you can't give support until you've listened to somebody's story mm. and, and really hear it. Um, and to, as part of our organization, we have this thing called upstanders, to be an upstander to them, to, to speak out and stand up when you see somebody being um, made less than or making, made, made to feel broken or separated from God because being gay is not a sin. And we have to make sure that those um, among us know that, all of us. We have to start um, sharing the love of Christ with everyone. Um, look into someone's eyes and see the humanity in their, in their being, in their, in their who they are. Um, mm. as that beautiful, perfect image of God um, that we all have. Um, and we need to stop teaching um, our youth, especially, um, about the teaching them that being gay is a sin, because it is not a sin, and it does not separate you from um, the love of God. And it's more harmful, I would say, to the straight people sitting in the pews and the straight gay people, because it they to the straight um, people sitting in the pews because those youth take that back with them, that message to their schoolrooms and to their dorm rooms, and then they believe that it's okay to humiliate and embarrass and intimidate yeah. someone because of their sexual orientation. I think the message is important for both gay people and straight people that we're all perfectly created in God's image. Um, mm. There is nothing um, more than that. I mean, we 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 try to put God in this small little box, and and we have to we can't even imagine the expanse and the love that God showers on us, all of us, including my sons um, and my son-in-law, and all of my friends that I now have in my life, um, some of whom are closer to me than siblings or mm. like adopted children because they have been cast out of their homes because of this dogma and this very narrow interpretation of scripture. Um, I like to say that we need to read scripture with eyes from the 21st century, not from eye, you know, not from the hand of the first century that it was written in. Um, God, this is not a surprise to God. God keeps giving us so much more wisdom and knowledge um, that we never had in the first century. Right. We have so much more um, knowledge about the um, horrible effects of homophobia, um, spiritually negative effects, as well as physical and emotional negative effects. Um, we've learned through research and, and medical data about the tragic consequences on the lives that have been taken far too soon from us, including mm. Tyler. Uh, and our loved ones are stolen away far too soon, and families are just left broken and destroyed. And that, that speaks to um, a verse in John, where Jesus says that the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. Yeah. And yes. if something takes life and it destroys life, then that is not of God. You know, we have to give life and we have to support everyone in our community, whatever makes you vulnerable. You know, yeah. whether it's your nationality, whether it's the language you speak, whether it's the color of your skin, you know, we have to support everyone. Um, and certainly those who um, God created to love, you know, the same 
sexes them or whatever gender identity they are, you know, whatever your sexual orientation is or, or your abilities or your disabilities or whatever it is that makes you unique or vulnerable, we have to remember to be able to embrace and support everyone. Yes. You, uh, you use the um, phrase, we need to learn to read the Bible through 21st century eyes, which I love. And I, I think, too, we need to learn how to hold our beliefs rooted first and foremost in love rather than dogma. Um, I often quote 1 Corinthians 13, which is um, the famous love chapter, and it begins with, um, what's that? Love does not harm, right? Right. It doesn't harm, but he begins by saying, like, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so my paraphrase is, um, we, we can have all of our theology perfect, and if we don't have love, we're dead wrong. Yep. That, that you can't, there, there's so much belief that we hold rooted in fear and defensiveness, not in a spirit of love, not in a spirit of inclusion, not in a spirit of humility, which to me, I'm like, that's actually, that's heresy. That's the, that's the worst kind of theology, actually, uh, no matter what it is. And that's using theology to actually bully another person, because yes. bullying is really just an, a, a, um, a power imbalance or an aggressive behavior because of a power imbalance of a real or perceived difference. Yes. And, and really, that's what that is. It's trying to make yourself better than someone, you know, knocking them down on that pecking order of whatever and, and pulling them down and putting yourself up. There's no humility in that at all. And isn't yeah. that what we're called to do, you know, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our Lord? Yeah. You know, that's, that's so opposite to what we're called to do as Christians. Yeah, isn't it funny how the Bible seems really simple and clear-cut about the things that matter? Like what you just yeah. quoted, and yet we make it really complex. Uh, yeah. And in the words of Jesus, we ignore the weightier matters of the law so often. Um, yeah. Um, what, I, what I'd love for our listeners to hear, in addition to all that you've shared, is the work that you're doing now. And you've touched on it a few different times with, with, uh, with the Tyler Clementi Foundation and uh, the, the way that you've really used um, Tyler's death and all of that that's swirled around this in, in your own heart, um, really to begin leading and affecting change, important change in our culture and in our world. Right. Well, we started out really simple at the very beginning, as we are simple, and we were very bogged down by other issues of, of as I said, grief and sadness. But um, we started out by just sharing Tyler's story and um, raising awareness about a culture shift to one of kindness and empathy, um, not despite our differences, but rather because of our many differences, that we should be celebrated, celebrating our differences and embracing them and respecting them. Um, so we started with awareness programming, um, and we quickly developed um, one of our programs, which is called the Day One Campaign, um, and that's an easy and effective tool to prevent bullying before it happens. We hope to instill day one in multiple schools, but it's good for any group or community, so it can be used in um, um, clubs or scouting, or I think the Y has been using it. Um, mm. 
and um, also can be probably used in churches. What it is is a downloadable script that empowers the leader to set clear and acceptable boundaries for behaviors and words that that are can be used and are acceptable within a group or community. Um, and I like to say that um, I'd like to imagine that maybe on every on the first day of school, every teacher or principal for a school might stand up and declare that they. Um, everyone there would be accepted and not to be humiliated or that they would not allow anyone to humiliate or intimidate anyone in this classroom because of the color of their skin, where they came from or what language they spoke at home or how they dressed or their abilities or lack of abilities, who they loved or what gender they identified as or anything else that made them unique and special and precious. Because Mm -hmm. to me, it's just such a simple idea but it's so important for that marginalized or different child to hear that they would be welcome and included in this group or space or wherever it's being declared and that no one would be allowed to target them. I think it's yes. an important message for all of us to hear that, you know, you are loved and you're safe and we will protect you here. So to me, that's almost a message that church needs to start embracing yes. as well. Yes. Just as you are perfectly created in God's image, as we said before. Um, And then we also have the Upstander Pledge, because what we saw happening with Tyler was that so many people had seen what was happening, especially being out on the cyber world and the digital space, and yet no one spoke up, no one intervened, no one reported Mm. it, no one spoke to Tyler, which are the three important issues, is that if you feel safe, you should intervene at the time, because sometimes it's just youth... um, joking and kidding and, and trying to be funny and and it just intervening and saying that, that those words are not funny, that's not acceptable, that sometimes will stop and change behavior. But if you're not safe and if it doesn't change the behavior, and always we hope like to make sure all youth will bring in an adult. And so the next step is that you need to report it, the situation to a yeah. safe, trusted adult because if it, also, in Tyler's situation, if an adult had been brought in, I mean, Tyler did report it to his RA, but that was just someone two years older than Tyler. You know, mm-hmm. if it, it was against the law, what was happening? So if they had brought in the police, you know, bring in an adult, you know, bring in um, a supervisor, a, a trusted um, person, uh, administrator, faculty member, staff, something, someone older. Um, because it's important to know that telling on someone is not the same as tattling if you want to keep someone safe and protected. Right, right. Um, And that's an important message. And it's not rumor, you know, having conversations about suicide or or mental health or whatever else that we kind of give stigma to and and banish. Um, But that's how we create safe environments, by having conversations. Yes. Um, And also speaking to the target is key. Um, because that's um, letting them know that there's help, there's support, making sure they're safe, they're okay, even just simply letting them know you're you're there for them if they, they need a friend. Um, mm. Because I think if someone had reached out to Tyler, again, we heard so many so much testimony um, after the fact, but we didn't see anything. But Tyler didn't know what was seen or what was not seen. All he saw was comments and jokes on social media, you know? Yeah. Um, so if somebody had reached out to him. Um, hmm. And we are fortunate because of the publicity. We have had men, many partnerships 
available to us with the Tyler Clemente Foundation. Um, we've had a partnership with Teachers College at Columbia University. They helped us develop a Lunch and Learn the webinar about oh, wow. bullying that is presented in, in um, workplaces, and that's being promoted through another great partnership that we've had called uh, Workplace Options, which is one of the nation's largest employee assistance programs. So we have been mm. totally blessed. We also have a partnership, actually, with Rutgers University. We have the Tyler Clemente Center at Rutgers, um, which is working on research and programming to create safe, inclusive spaces um, at institutions of higher learning at colleges and universities. So we were really fortunate with that. And we've even partnered with public policy public policy polling. Um, we use them to get out some questions to help us create um, and get data on bullying prevention. Um, mm. we, we also have legislation. We have lots of stuff going on. We have legislation that we're <laughs> actively promoting, which is um, there's a bill called the Tyler Clemente Higher Education Anti-Harassment Act, um, which was originally introduced by um, New Jersey's late Senator Frank Lautenberg, but it's been reintroduced in every Congress since, including um, this most recent Congress last year, um, Senator Tammy Baldwin and Senator um, Murray from Washington State um, reintroduced it. Um, it's legislation that would require institutions of higher learning to have policies in place that prohibit harassment of enrolled students by other students, and as well as faculty and staff, based on their real or perceived um, difference, whether it be race, color, national origin, sex, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, and or wow. religion. So, um, this, and this time when it was reintroduced, there was also a, a component um, that referred to cyberbullying, making sure there w would be um, policies at, at colleges in place for that as well. Oh, so good. So there's lots of stuff happening. We have a piece of music called Tyler Sweet um, that was commissioned by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And Whoa. The choruses, and it's been sung across the country. It was um, organized by Stephen Schwartz, who did who composed Pippin and, and Wicked, and he brought on 11 or 10 other uh, composers and librettists to help. It's a nine-movement choral piece of music, um, and it's really beautiful. They, they're really gifted artists and com um, composers. Um, so we're really... Oh, my goodness. That helps us get our messaging out. So I yeah. would encourage everyone to go to our website, um, tylerclemente.org, and see what we're doing and see what's out there. And you can also pledge to become an upstander when you, when you go to our website. Because I really hope that everyone uses social media wisely and for good, as I always say. So that yes. means like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and, and, and go to our website and pledge to become an upstander. So it's tylerclemente.org. TylerClemente.org. And, yeah, I, I can – I spent – knowing that we were going to spend time together today, I, I spent quite a bit of time on, on that website. And um, this is, this is free, free promo, but it's totally worth it. The work you're doing, especially, it seems, in, in this culture in which people seem more defensive, more prone to attack one another, um, it is so deeply important. Uh, and I love that – that it's not just you're not just out there saying something with nobody listening, um, but I, I know people are are more aware of it. That even though it feels like we're more divided, even though it seems like bullying, um, I, I mean, 
it, it seems like we're in a, we're in a country right now where our everyone's allowed to bully because our president is bullying. Um, and yet, what I'm seeing is kind of people now stepping up, saying, "No, this is this doesn't work." There's kind of this sense now of like we can't do this anymore. Um, and I think a lot of the work that you're doing is contributing to that sense of going, we can't, we can't do this anymore. And so thank you. Thank you sincerely for the work that you're doing. Um, and thanks for, for doing it as, as somebody who took the worst circumstances, um, and just said, I don't think this is, this is where it has to end, but we, we can actually begin to affect change out of our own pain. Thank you. Thanks. Because you are so right. Um, Bullying is so much more than the power imbalance between two youth um, in the classroom or or even in the digital world. You know, any power imbalance and uh, unwanted aggressive behavior, such as even with legislation, you know, with um, the uh, inequality and unprotected protections for marginalized uh, adults is, is, is bullying, you know? And yeah. what breaks my heart is when I see um, scripture misused and used as a weapon um, to harm and destroy others. And that's why we also have some faith initiatives that we're working on. Because bullying is so much more than, and, than just one youth to another youth. Just, again, to remind our listeners... Uh, it's the Tyler Clementi Foundation. If you just, if you just Google Tyler Clementi, uh, it will bring you right to that homepage. Really encourage you to go and spend some time there to see the good work, uh, that they are doing there to find the resources that are there. It's a great thing for, I think, pastors, youth pastors, teachers, parents to engage in and really to engage the conversation with people in your sphere of influence so that we can be, as Jane said, upstanders to begin to speak out and speak against this kind of behavior and also begin to form a vision of what does it look like to love others well, to, to expand our embrace more and more and more to look more like the inclusive embrace of God. So Jane, thank you so much uh, for spending the time with us today on the Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Have a really great day. I will. And so for all of you listening, thank you again for joining with us. Again, uh, our guest today was Jane Clementi, uh, co-founder of the Tyler Clementi Foundation. Until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.